I'm Brent Ruff. And I'm Josh Tafke. Okay, so this episode is with a friend of mine, Andrew Rockwell. He is a very interesting guy. In this particular episode, we talked all about uh, Africa, caribou, uh, his grizzly hunt, uh, his Texas hog hunts. Unfortunately, about the 45-minute mark, there is a cutoff. My computer decided to have a hiccup. Uh, so we had to pick it back up, but all in all, it's an awesome episode. I think you guys are really going to dig it. So without further ado, please give it up for our friend, Andrew Rockwell. So, you know, price-wise comparison. So I, you know, I had to carry all my own shit and sleep in a sleeping bag on a cot in a tent could have gone to Africa for the same price. Um, now been warm, uh, treated like a been, king, been, all your meals yeah, cooked warm, for you. Like a, like a king, like a, like a well-respected guest. Same with a, with a guided grizzly. You know, I, I wanted the experience of trudging through the willows along some river for days on end until we found a grizzly. And, you know, probably your your, your listeners are, are the same way and probably you guys are the same way too. You know, you want that different experience. Right. But I guess, as, you know, back to the Africa thing, it's it's an affordable experience because if you can afford those experiences in North America, you can afford those experiences in Africa. Right. It seems like more of an experience when you go over there as well. It's not the same mm-hmm. Like you can drive out to Colorado and see all of the the country and stuff and go on hikes for free. Sure. So a whole but, different continent. Yeah, <laughs> you, you fly over mm-hmm. to Africa and that I mean you're not going to see that anywhere but Africa. Yeah, the the animals are different, the sounds are different. I mean, okay, mo- most people when they go to Africa for at least their first time or their first couple times they want to hunt plains game in Africa because you know most people in North America are used to hunting deer, elk, and moose and. The animals in the plains in Africa kind of look like deer and elk and moose, um, you know, just different colors and different horn shapes and stuff like that. But they're all about the same size, and, you know, kind of built the same. And that was my experience. I I was all plains game hunting, and that's what I'm when I go back in May. I'm doing the same thing. There's other species that I wanted to hunt, and I'm doing that again. But probably just within the last couple of weeks, I've thought to myself that you know maybe uh, maybe one of the next times I go back, probably be a couple of years before I go back for the, be the third time. Um, I want to go to Mozambique and I want to hunt a Cape Buffalo and a crocodile Ooh! for no other reason than I want to hunt the dangerous game for the Cape Buffalo. And that's one of the affordable dangerous game species. And then, uh, I think it'd be kind of cool to have a 16 foot crocodile in my living room. You know I mean? Uh, you know, I, a friend of mine have gone to Florida and shot a gator and, you know, shot a seven foot gator and made a, like an aquarium type coffee table out of it. And it, it looks pretty damn cool. But I thought, okay, well. 16-foot dining room table with an alligator under it. (laughs) Yep. What's the most expensive animal to hunt over there? The most expensive animal that I know of is um, uh, white rhino. And it's a lot of that depends on if they're uh, they're still have their horns or if the horns have been removed. Um, Because to protect some of the animals against poachers, um, the uh, the game officials over there will actually trank dart the rhino and remove the horn. So that poachers won't kill the animal to remove the horn. Um, poaching a problem? Poaching is a huge problem. Uh, and that's a lot of the money that you spend to go to Africa that you actually spend on the animals and stuff goes towards anti-poaching efforts. Um, it goes towards putting fences, uh, um, hiring anti-poaching police, um, you, know, you know, just different different things like that. I mean, kind of kind of the same thing here in North America. They do the same stuff over there, but the conservation efforts over there are hiring police to patrol that area to keep the poachers out well from and, what i've seen they're more intense on it too can't they i mean oh yeah it's it's open season on poachers you find a poacher the, the poacher's gonna get shot 
in full disclosure, there's some, uh, you know, you know, sustenance poaching where, where people are, are poaching to feed their family, but that's pretty rare. Most of the people that, that poach are poaching for, you know, some outside source. So, you know, some Chinese person that wants to buy the horn or, uh, uh, or some other, you know, foreigner that wants the, the components or the meats or something for some, you know, you know, ancient remedy or, or some mystical property or, or something like that. So, yeah, so the, you know, rhino horn, um, you know, get some of the other countries, you know, you know, like, I mean, that's why tigers are, are, are dwindling in some parts of the world, just because, uh, you know, people poach the tigers for their, their, you know, prowess and their mystical powers and, and everything like that. Well, just yeah. come to Texas. They got more down there than they do in the wild, right? Uh, they, yeah, they got, <laughs> there, there's a lot of exotic species in Texas. You can, uh, you can actually hunt some of the African species in Texas. Now, of course they've been imported and they're going to be in a high fence. Well, it's, it's open so, season on Nilgai down there if they're not in a high fence. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Like if you, any of the species, if they're not enclosed, if they get out of the high fence, you shoot anything because they're invasive. Uh, yeah. As long yeah. as you have a valid hunting license. Hmm. I didn't know that. Nilgai is a hell of an interesting looking animal. It's uh, they're weird, but apparently they taste damn good. You know, I've heard that too. I uh, I didn't know Nilgai was a thing until uh, until I, when I was in Texas um, hog hunting. Speaking of invasive species, and uh, um, I've done it a couple of times, and I've always brought my meat home back here to Michigan and just processed it myself or taken it to a local butcher. Um, but I decided to take a, a butcher down there and I walked into this butcher, you know, this told me it's just a, you know, it's a meat processor. Okay, fine. Well, I walk in and the whole lobby of this place has got probably 50 different species of animal hanging on the wall. So, you know, I'm like a kid in a museum at that point. It's like, what's that? And what's that? And what's that? And where'd that come from? And, and wow, that's a weird looking sheep. And, you know, you know, that type of stuff. And, and the owner of the place just happened to be there and he, he obliged all my, all my curious questions. And yeah, you had a full body mountain hill guy sitting in the in the in the lobby there and i was like all right that thing is weird looking as hell where what is that where did it come from etc et he's like yeah i shot it you know, 40 miles from here and it's an ill guy oh okay how would you describe what those look like they're like a like a giant cow with a deer head and short little horns um <laughs> like, like i'm i'm you know like six eight inch horns i mean i i was gonna say uh, the face of a warthog without the tusks the yeah, tusks are of. on top of their head and then a body of a yeah, not, not even an elk. I mean, they're they're all front shoulder. Yeah, it's all front shoulder and skinny little bag. It's kind of like the the old Looney Tunes, uh, the old Looney Tunes bulldog. You know, it's all, it's yeah. all front shoulders and everything with tiny little back legs and everything. And yeah, you're right. You cut the uh, cut the body off of a buffalo, take the legs off of an elk, and then the face off of a warthog. Take the yep. tusks and put them on top of his head. Yeah. They're yeah, funky looking little things. They they really are. And by little, I you know twelve hundred <laughs> right. pounds. Yeah, yeah, by little, yeah, the size of a horse. Um, so you said the white rhino though would be yeah probably the most expensive. Yep. Is yep. It- Thanks for getting me back on track there. Yeah, and again, it's going to depend on the length of the horn or if they've been dehorned. Um, a, a dehorned white rhino. I'm I'm, I'm kind of ballparking here. You know, my might, might be twenty five grand. Um, if you want with a with a you know thirty four inch horn or something like that, it's probably going to be a hundred grand. Um, and a lot of times those those really old mature rhinos, and by mature I mean they're probably beyond mature and they're starting to be in decline. You don't buy a tag for a rhino, you buy a tag for that rhino, and the government sends an agent with you to make sure that you shoot the correct rhino. So it's almost it's almost like a like a euthan, euthanasia or. Um, so, like, you know, if a, I mean, for example, if a rhino is beyond his breeding years to the point that he's not breeding the, not breeding the female anymore, but he's still fighting the younger males to maintain dominance in the herd status, 
he's actually actively working against the procreation of his species because he's not breeding, but he's preventing the other rhinos from breeding. So, the so they're using, he's got to yeah. go. So they're and, using hunting as a management tool. Yes. Yep. So hunting is a herd management tool and that hundred thousand dollars, you know, a lot of it goes to the, to the, you know, if, it, if the if the rhino is privately owned or on private land, a lot of it goes to the landowner. Most of it goes to the government, and then and then that you know supports the industry. It's all private land over there, isn't it? Or? A lot of it is yeah. in in South Africa, where where I've been going, and uh, yeah, it's mostly private land. There's some some of the private land has high fence, some of the private land has no fence. So now you got the. It's not really a canned hunt, but there are some areas that are like captive bred species. Is what they call it, captive bred. But it's it's high fence on eight thousand acres or oh, twenty thousand acres, or something like that. So yes, there's animals in there, but it's kind of you know it's not a canned hunt where the thing's tied to a tree and like okay, there's your kudu, go shoot it. You still got to hunt for it. You just kind of know where they are. You just know where to look. Um, or you can you know go to the you know the free range stuff. Now you're still hunting on private land. Uh, the kudu that I shot was a free range kudu. But I shot it on private land, so I mean, you know, it, it had the whole Kalahari Desert to roam. It just happened to show up and uh, on this guy's land, so the landowner was was pretty damn happy because he got paid because he allowed the hunting and the hunting happened on his land, and so he got he got his his concession fee. How does that compare to um, the the private landowners out west that allow like? Say they have water rights on uh, BLM ground, and you shoot an antelope on that water hole. Well, there's a little check station with tags that you know you fill out what you shot when mm-hmm. and send it in and part of your tag fee you know they have the water rights and it was on that water hole they get like 16 or 20 bucks per antelope when yeah. somebody shoots it off of there right i'm guessing in africa the landowner gets a heck of a lot more than 20 bucks it's yeah i couldn't tell you what the dollar amount is and, I, and it it depends on on the species of course um i think the landowner probably gets about half maybe a third of what the value of that animal is. And I'm just basing that on, uh, on I had one experience where uh, I'd, I'd hunted on this one farmer's land for uh, for three days and not shot anything on his land. And uh, and then I found out later that that farmer was actually kind of struggling. Like his, like his I say farmer, it's a rancher that, that his his ranch, uh, they've been going through a dr- pretty bad drought. And so and so his, uh, his cattle herd was suffering pretty bad and he was kind of on hard times. And... I said, okay, well, you know, I hunted on his land for three days and didn't shoot anything. He's got, you know, I saw a huge herd of springbok on his land. Let's go back and I'll shoot a $600 springbok just to help the guy out a little bit. And um, the owner of Wild Wildebeest told me that he would uh, that he would waive his fee of it and just charge me the, you know, like charge me cost or whatever like that. And uh, and so he basically, you know, this $600 springbok, I think I got it for 350 bucks. And so, so I'm, not bad. I'm guessing that of that 350, probably about half went to the landowner and half went to, you know, the, um, the, the professional hunters yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, and, and I don't know, I could be way off on that. That's, that's, that's not information that I have. I'm just kind of speculating. But the, the A pl- lot of us do that. The, it's okay. The, the, the point is, you know, the private land, they get dual income from land because the land is very marginal for, for like a cattle rancher. Um, like this, this ranch I was just telling you about, he had, uh, um, he had 1900 acres and he had 200 head of cattle on that 1900 acres. Um, you know, around here where the land's a lot more lush, a lot more fertile and 1900 acres would probably have, you know, 5,000 head of cattle on that or something like that. And it's, uh, um, and so he was raising cattle and allowing hunting, 
So he had dual income from the same property. And the land was not supporting the cattle, so he was kind of down to single income from that property, and I was allowing hunting. And so that's why I, I don't know, I guess my... Just know, trying to be a good just, guy. Just trying you know. to be a decent guy, and I kind of, I kind of, you know, empathized with uh, with his plight. And like, you know, he's out here on the edge of the Kalahari Desert trying to make a living. And damn it, let's support him one more day. I'll give him a fourth day and see what happens. And you know, like I said, I shot a springbuck. So um, I went to Africa with absolutely no intention of shooting a springbuck, and well, I shot a springbuck. Why so, not? I, well, yeah, I know they're small, but yeah, yeah. I like the little ones. Yeah, they, they remind me of antelope and, you know, the deer that we mm-hmm. shoot around here once in a while on accident. Uh, yeah. Sometimes on purpose. <laughs> Accidentally on purpose. And uh, you well, walk up and realize it weighs 80 pounds. And, yep. Fuck. Look, a yeah, little, little bit of ground shrinkage. Yeah, we've, yep. We've, yep. We've all done that. My, my, my buddy's kid uh, uh, shot a button buck um, uh, earlier this year. And, and he's like, oh, I didn't know it was a button. And then he... You know, trying to feel a little better about himself. He said, "So, Andy, have you ever shot a button?" I said, "Yeah, probably one or two. And he goes, oh, well, I've shot four. How do you? How can you tell?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, don't shoot the little ones. Damn it, kid!" <laughs> gun or bow? Yeah. Um, this one, this one that he shot was with a gun. I don't know. Maybe he he does both, so I don't know. But well, with a bow, they're close enough. You can see the buttons on its head. Uh-huh. And with a gun, put a fucking scope on it so you can see the damn thing. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, you know, fifteen year old kid, he probably gets excited. But uh, but we've all been there. Hey, hey there's a deer. <laughs> yeah, 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 we we've, we've all, all been there. Yeah, we, get a little trigger happy. I've had my days where I realize that uh, they're shooting light hours for a reason. Because when it comes light, you're like, oh yes, I shot it in the heart. I could see it perfectly, except for the buttons on its head. Yep. Crap. Or, or hey, I realize it's you know. 45 minutes after sunset and I can't see shit, but that's a giant deer and you shoot it and that's a neighbor's horse. Like, <laughs> Ooh, no, you know? no, no. That's a, that's a big boo-boo horse, yeah. deer. <laughs> yep. Every, every now and then you hear some anecdote or some story about, you know, some farmer had a horse shot and, and I, I would get that in Africa, but yeah, in Southwestern Michigan, I'm sorry, but yeah, that's 200 pound deer, 1200 pound horse. Everybody's got a story about, you know, my dad's friend's cousin, farmer's neighbor, had a horse shot in 1977, so that's why he doesn't allow anybody to hunt. I mean, yeah. And then you try and say, no, it was probably some 12-year-old kid fucking around, and it's it's their land, and if they say no, well, okay, thanks for your time, sir. And so, uh, COVID, how has that affected the African safari game? If it has, I mean, that's got to hurt their economy over there big it, time, it, yeah? Yeah, it absolutely has. Um a lot of hunting outfitters um, did not survive COVID because with uh, the travel restrictions and everything like that, you know, with shutting down the border and everything like that, and if so, they were not, um, you know, well capitalized or had savings built up or anything like that, they did not survive. Um, our company, um, the Wild Wildebeest Safaris, lost some professional hunters because, I mean, you know, no in, no income. These guys, you know, they, they work for tips and wages and stuff like that and if there's no income you know they can't live a year without income so they when you know got a job somewhere else um and you know you can't blame them i mean you know you know if our if our job shut down you know you're not going to just sit at home and say that sucks you're going to go find try and find work somewhere else well there can't be much much work over there right there there is a get out in the when you get out in the countryside there really isn't there's um hunting tourism uh or working a cattle ranch or working in in the mine um or one of the mines 
when you get in the cities, there's more industry and some tech and some service and stuff like that. But, but you know, where, where the hunting outfitters are, they're far enough out that, you know, you can't go get a job at the local factory because there isn't a local factory. Your job is the next ranch 10 miles down the road. And if they don't have any hunters or any cattle either, well, then you just don't have a job right now. Um, so that's probably um, where the, uh, the sustenance poaching comes from. Yeah. I, I think there's some of that cause there's a lot of poverty there too. Um, um, especially, uh, especially the blacks, the blacks are all very poor over there. Um, uh, they, so, so South Africa and I, and I, I, you know, I couldn't tell you what the, what the actual demographic population, but it's, it's something huge. It's, you know, 90% black and 10% white. I mean, don't, you know, Wikipedia could probably correct me on that, but, um, most of the businesses and most of the land are owned by the white minority. Um, so the, the black population is very poor. Um, and, um, most of them work for, I'd say, you know, minimum wage, which their minimum wage is a whole lot less than ours. It's the equivalent of about $10 a day. Um, so like the story I told you at the very beginning of, uh, um, when we shot the Gemsbach on the mountain and we went and got a couple of the ranch hands to come and help us. Um, I, uh, I tipped the, the guy that helped us, I tipped them each a hundred rand South African currency rand, which a uh, hundred rand is worth about seven bucks. I thought you said a hundred grand at first. I'm no. like, you what? <laughs> <laughs> um, we are in the I, wrong line of work. I, right? And I'll tell you what, I was going to tip them um, 50 U.S. dollars. And I, you know, fortunately, I guess I had the presence of mind to ask my professional hunter, like, hey, is this a good tip? Because, I mean, this guy just carried a Gemsbach off a mountain. Can I give him 50 bucks or whatever? And he looks at me and says, don't you dare tip him that much. Don't you dare give him that much. It's like, okay. How about, so, so like, I, cause like I initially said, you know, 50 and he says, that'd be a good tip. And I said, $50. And he says, no, 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 not that much. So he meant 50 rand, which is you know, $3.50. It was, at the time, it was about 14 to 1 exchange rate. Um, and uh, and so I I ended up, so, okay, well, how about 100 grand? Because I feel like a cheap ass tipping this guy three bucks. And he says, all right, 100 grand is very generous, but no more than that. It's like, okay, fine. So I tipped the guy 100 grand. Um, now both of them. There was two guys. I tipped them both 100 grand, and they were they were you know all smiles and thank you sir and have a you know you know et cetera et cetera. And on the drive back, I asked uh, asked my page about that. Why do you tell me no to do that? And that's when he explained to me that hey, you know those guys make like ten dollars a day, and if you tip him that much, a lot of times these these folks don't they they can't think farther ahead. They think uh, and I think. I think, you know, I, I've never lived in poverty, but just kind of the way he described it, it kind of sounds like maybe people that are used to living hand to mouth, they know what they have right now. And I don't care about tomorrow because I'm trying to survive today. I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And so the example was like, if they if I gave him $50, that's more money than he's ever had at one time. And he's going to go back into the ranch and quit. I said, I don't need to work anymore because I have $50. And then you know, two weeks from now when he's broke, he's going to come back and ask for his job back and he's not going to get his job back because you quit, you walked out on your job. So screw you. And there's people lined up five deep for your job now. So, so they just said, yeah, you know, planning ahead is not, uh, is not the strong suit of some of those folks. So, yeah. So, I mean, you know, talking about trying to, trying to survive on sustenance. I mean, these guys survive on, you know, $10 a day and, you know, food aid here and there. Man, so, I wouldn't blame them for shooting something to eat. Yeah, I'm like, not sure. I'm not sure I would either. I, so. I gotta imagine they're more lenient on that kind of stuff. They're probably the people that are out there trying to get something for dinner. 
I'm guessing they're not yeah. shooting rhinos and lions and no, they're they're, they're, they're shooting you they're know shooting the, the springbok and the and the impala and the stuff is a little bit more plentiful. I I am not versed on the on the country's penal code, so I don't know if the punishments are different or if poaching is poaching. You know, I I don't know if it's looked at differently like that or if there's if there's empathy or any type of forgiveness or anything like that. I I just don't know. But to answer the second part of your question, so there was no hunting for a year, so. The animals all got uh, all got bigger and fatter, and the horns got bigger because you know there's nobody shooting the shooting the large ones anymore. So the big ones got bigger, and the the small ones got bigger. Um, so and they they kind of got a little less weary of humans. So uh, so um, Tony, the owner of Wild Wildebeest, was was he and when he and I were talking, he's like, hey, the the animals are fat, the animals are plentiful. South Africa's open. Come on back. I'll see you in May. And, uh, and so that's, uh, that's how that's played out. Um, one of the downsides of all that shutdown, as I mentioned, you know, some of the animals are captive bred. Um, if they're captive bred for hunting purposes and there's nobody hunting them, well, now that animal doesn't pay anymore. It doesn't pay to keep that animal. And instead of, instead of having, you know, 50 cattle and, and a hundred other species on my land, well, I'm going to put more cattle on my land. And a lot of animals got culled. Uh, a lot of animals, you know, so they just went out and shot them and, you know, sold the meat because, you know, I can't sell that animal for, you know, X number of hundreds of dollars to hunt it, but I can still sell the meat at market for, you know, 50 bucks, hundred bucks or whatever. So I'm going to call that and I'm going to increase my cattle population. Right. So make something off of it rather than just losing yep, money. Yep, exactly. And I, I ended up buying a giraffe hide, um, from wild wildebeest safaris. They, uh, um, they culled some giraffe in one area. And they were trying to sell the sell the bones for you know people to make knife handles out of, um, sell the hides and everything like that. And I just said, all right, I'll, I'm I want a giraffe hide, but I don't want to shoot a giraffe. But the giraffe's already dead, so I'll pay for the hide. And uh, and so I said, well, I'll be back in May. I'll have it shipped back with my trophies. Where the hell are you going to put a giraffe hide? You know, I really don't know. It's um, <laughs> a big ass hide, it's, dude. It's, they they told me it's approximately eleven foot by fourteen foot. So and and that's about the size of the biggest room in my house because I have a small house. Staple um, it to the ceiling. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I have seen furniture that's covered in like giraffe hide and zebra hide and stuff like that, and it looks kind of cool. But I don't know that I'd want to do that because. People are Can't you kind of wear it out? Yeah, you'd think so. You'd wear the hair off of it and stuff like that. I mean, it, it looks cool, but I think it'd wear out over time. So I'd go I'd, buy another giraffe hide and replace I, your couch. I have uh, I have some uh, some grand vision of eventually I'm going to have a, is the rug under the dining room table or 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 something like that. So, um, but I don't know. To have a bigger house, you have to have have to have money, and I spend all my money on hunting trips. <laughs> so, right. So yeah, I, not uh, a bad way to go. Yeah. I want to. I want to get into the uh, the grizzly bear hunt that you were on. Right. That's okay. because, as far as I knew, that wasn't uh, wasn't really a thing. I knew there were very mm-hmm. limited tags for Alaska mm-hmm. once in a while, but yep. the The last few years, I don't know what's been going on with it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't have to draw. I uh, um, I went through an outfitter, so maybe the outfitter gets a limited number of tags and they sell them. So yeah, so the grizzly hunt it was uh, it wasn't a coastal brown bear; it was an interior grizzly. Uh, I don't know if it was like a like a subspecies or whatever, but they they called it Arctic grizzly, which is an interior grizzly. Um, so they're a little bit smaller. So like my my grizzly was a little over six foot. Uh, you know, some of the coastal grizzlies are ten foot. They they eat a lot better. And uh, I was gonna say so, it's all diet, right? Yep, yep, it's all diet and it's all genetics. Um, uh, 
so the the Arctic grizzly where we were, they're all a little bit smaller. Like, like what you know, I, I kind of naively said to uh, said to the pilot when he was flying us out, like, hey. So what are the odds I'm going to get a 10-foot grizzly? And he said, well, the state record for the zone you're hunting in right now is 8-foot-6. So good luck. <laughs> it's like, okay. But um, the thing they did have going for them, which ended up working out just fine in my mind anyway, because uh, uh, I was kind of hoping to get a color phase bear. Um, and the Arctic grizzly are kind of known for their color phase. So the bear that I shot um, was uh, was had dark legs and blonde blonde hair running down its back and blonde face, and uh, and its claws were kind of ivory colored. Um, and so, I um, mean, it wasn't it wasn't a huge bear. It was about six foot. Um, we didn't weigh it. I'm I'm guessing just based on how heavy it was to drag. I'm guessing it was probably about five hundred pounds because. Um, uh, it 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 had fallen down into uh, into a slough when it uh, when it finally died and uh, and me and the guide had to drag it out and uh, he's pulling on uh, on one of the front legs and I'm pulling on the other and it's you know one two three pull and the bear moves about six inches and oh. one two three pull yeah so and this we, is this is already gutted I imagine right? uh, we hadn't gutted it yet we were trying to get it out of the mud in the slough in the uh, slough to get it up on a, get it up on a gravel bar where we could actually you know. Where we could actually skin it and uh, skin it, and clean it properly without getting it covered yep. in mud and muck. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so the grizzly hunt was was also a flying hunt, but it was actually a guided camp. State laws you have to have a guide um, uh, to hunt grizzly bear, and uh, so they flew us in in a little uh, little Piper Super Cub, just little little two seater plane, um, and one of those seats is the pilot, and uh, so uh, they flew uh, they flew my buddy in first. Um, there was a hunter in camp, so they flew my buddy in, flew that hunter out, flew me in, and um, we were supposed to be a two-on-one, two two clients for one guide. Um, when we got there, um, there there was a second guide in camp. He um, he was the guide for that client that flew out, and he was actually hunting about five miles upriver. Um, and our pilot told him, "Hey, I'm bringing these guys into Don's camp downriver." get in your raft and float downriver and we'll pick you up at Don's camp. So these guys all had, the, the guys, they each had inflatable rafts because we were hunting along a river. And um, and so they did. Well, um, the other guide, uh, he was packed up and ready to go. And uh, when our pilot landed, looked at him and says, hey, I'm not going to take you out here right now because I think I'm going to have another hunter at a different spot in a couple of days. So just hang out here for a couple of days. Uh, I'll be back. And he got in the plane and left. And there was the second guide standing there with all of his stuff packed up on the side of the runway, just kind of looking around like, well, guess I'll hunt with you guys. <laughs> what, what, what do I do? And, uh, so we paid for a two-on-one hunt, but we actually had two one-on-one hunts simultaneously. And that, that worked out pretty well because um, uh, my buddy and the, and the second guide um, took off downriver the first day. And, uh, and the, the main guide um, uh, and I took off upriver the first day. And uh, um, my buddy, his name is Josh, and the other guide's name is Josh. So we had, we had Team Josh hunting downriver because um, both guys are named Josh. And Sound then, like uh, good guys. No, <laughs> they're, they're, they're decent guys. Yep. And then, uh, and then, you know, just kind of jokingly, uh, so Don, the, the main guide and I, um, uh, we both had Sitka rain jackets on when we landed. So we had team Josh and team Sitka and, uh, um, who killed first, uh, team Josh. They, uh, I told they, you. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. My 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 buddy Josh had a had a hell of a hunting trip. We both did, but uh, um, yeah. So he uh, he ended up shooting his grizzly like twenty yards. Um, the thing the thing was coming at him, not not charging, but like um, you know, I, I wasn't there, but he told me the story. So they were sitting on our side of the river, watching the opposite shore of the river, and Josh heard a splash in one of the rain catches uh, behind him. And uh, and turn around and look, and there's a grizzly walking walking through the water, coming right at him. I mean, not like I said, not charging, like he's just coming out to the river, and the grizzly hadn't seen him. And Josh whirled around on his stool and shot the thing right right there. So just oh shit, bear, bang! And uh, um, and he and the guide both unloaded on it. So Don and I were hunting a couple miles up river, and we heard we heard six shots, just boom, 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 just and we're like, oh shit. That, oh shit! Yeah, that'll sound yeah. good. And uh, and you know you know no cell phone service up there. We all had the the Garmin inReach, and so we're you know texting each other as fast as we can on the Garmin inReach, and like, hey, you guys okay? You, you all right? Sounds like and, a panic shoot going and, on and, up there. And it was, yeah, and and, um, and they ended up getting it just fine. They hit it four out of six shots, and which. Okay, that's pretty good for panic shooting, but then you could argue that you're shooting at a, at a whole fucking bear at 20 yards and you hit it four times. Come on, guys. But, uh, right. I mean, I mean, I, I don't blame them. We had a little bit of a panic shoot at some squirrels last weekend. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, let me tell you a little bit about panic shooting. We're not going to talk so. about that. <laughs> oh, but we are, Bert. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's funny you talk about panic shooting and, uh, um, uh, uh, guide Josh is going to love this because he, he, he was a younger guy too. He's probably 21, 22. And, um, and so, you know, my, my buddy Josh got his bear the first day and it, I ended up getting mine on the fifth day. Uh, so day four, Don and I are up river again. And, uh, I knew that Josh, um, my buddy Josh was, uh, was hunting for wolves because we both had wolf tag and he had nothing to do. So he was hunting for wolves and, um, one of the hunters that had been in camp a few weeks before us had killed a bear on the opposite side of the river from camp. So there was a bear carcass there. And so Josh would just go out to the river shore, you know, the river bank and set up and wait for a wolf to come in. And, um, on day four, I heard, you know, two rifle shots and I, okay, well, Josh got a wolf. And then I heard two more rifle shots and I'm like, well, that was weird. I wonder if we got two wolves. Um, and so, all right, that's fine. And, you know, five minutes goes by, and then uh, and then we're just sitting there, and all of a sudden, in the distance, we hear bang, 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 boom. We hear a pistol mag dump and a rifle shot just that fast. And Don and I both looked at each other like we just seen a ghost. Like, oh fuck, fuck, we gotta go. And uh, we uh, um, uh, we took off. I'm I'm throwing f bombs. That's okay, right? No, oh, you're this good. Is, this you're is good. a podcast, you're not good. broadcast. No, right? you're good, brother. Um, and so we took off because we're like. That was panic fire, you know, a pistol mag dump. You know, they, they must have got a wolf and something came up on them while they were skinning it or something. We got to go. And uh, so we're, we're double timing it. We got about halfway back and my phone beeped and, uh, um, and it says, hey, it was a wolf. It was wounded. You guys can keep hunting. They're like, all right, we're going to keep going, going back to camp because this, you know, one, our hunt is ruined because we're, we're making no effort to be quiet going back and you know, there's only an hour of daylight left anyway, so we uh, we we booked back and so and so um, so what had happened is uh, um, uh, Josh had shot the wolf just as we expected, but he wounded it, and as the thing's limping through the trees trying to get away, Josh fired three more times at it to try and uh, try and finish it off, and I think he did end up hitting it again. Um, 
those two guys got the raft, went across the river, and started tracking it, tracking the blood and everything. And the, um, the blood trail ran out. So they're walking and they're walking and they're walking. And Guide Josh stepped on it. The thing, the, the wolf had burrowed under the moss and the thick bush and everything like that. And, uh, hmm. and uh, so he didn't even see it. He's walking along trying to track it. And he stepped on it. And when he stepped on it, the thing picked its head up and looked at him. Oh, and so shit. and so he jumped back with his uh, with his pistol and uh, and mag dumped his uh, his ten millimeter pistol at this poor wolf from about three feet and didn't hit it once. <laughs> there, and so the boom the boom we heard at the end was uh, was my buddy Josh with his rifle from ten yards away putting another round in it to finish it off. Um, and uh, and so guide Josh just kind of sheepishly was like, well, I guess I should practice with my pistol a little bit more. And, uh, you know, just knowing a thing or two about, uh, about pistols, he was, so he was carrying a Glock 20, um, and Glocks for, for people that are Glock guys, Glocks point a little bit high if you're not used to it. And if he's not used to it, it's points a little bit high. Plus it's a 10 millimeter. So he's probably managing, you know, the recoil's just climbing right up. So he probably pointed high to begin with and just kept shooting. And the whole time the thing's just walking right up. And meanwhile, the wolf's just laying there looking at him. And so... And so, uh, you know, you, you you talk about you know panic fire. You know, you, here, here's a professional guide that uh, that you know mag dumped at a wolf from three feet and missed it all, I uh, say, all nine often, or ten times. How often do you step on a live wolf? Well, well <laughs> I probably yeah. dump a mag in it too. And you know what? I probably would have too. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I don't. Know. I would hope that I would at least hit it once or twice. Well, you'd think so. I I <laughs> have I, no I, idea I, how uh, you know how quickly I would have pissed myself or or whatever if I'd stepped on a on a live wounded wolf because you know you're dig- going through the brush right. after a wounded wolf is that thing you know that thing might have turned on you right yeah. then. And Reaction is better than no action though, right? Well, <clears throat> yes. And I, I would hope for at least one. I mean, it, what's a, a Glock twenty holds what eleven rounds? Yeah, so I I don't know. But yeah, he um, yeah he uh, he dumped nine or ten rounds, and of course then I asked him, okay, we're you know we're in the boonies of Alaska. How how much is ten millimeter ammo up here right now? And and that's what he made the comment. He's like, yeah, that's why I haven't practiced with it very much. Is because I can't get ten millimeter ammo when I do. It's expensive as shit. It's like a hundred bucks a box. And so there so like, was just like. 30 40 bucks right there. Yeah, it's like, all right, well, let's 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 practice a little bit more, shall we? And, right. And, and so So whose bear was bigger? Uh Josh's bear was a little bit bigger than mine. Um we didn't we didn't actually put a tape measure on it, uh but boar um, boar or sow. Uh his was a boar, mine was a sow. Um his was a a younger boar. Um we we got him aged where they they pulled a tooth and sent him in for the age, but we haven't got the reports back. This was just in September. Um, I'd say his was a younger boar. Mine was an older sow. Um, uh, and when we, uh, when we had them all skinned out, we had the hide spread out on a, on a, we, we used the same tarp and it was, I don't know, six foot by eight foot tarp. And the hide on mine was like right at the edges of the tarp. And the hide of his was a few inches over the tarp on each side. So, so if, if mine was six foot tall, his was six, six. You know, right there somewhere. Um, Trivial difference. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and the way they measure, they measure width and length and average them. And I think mine might have actually been longer than his, but his was wider than mine. So I don't know. Like I said, we didn't have a tape measure, but his uh, his caribou was bigger than mine. Um, uh, his bear was bigger than mine, and he actually got a wolf. 
I got a, a running shot at a wolf because I spotted one um, just running along the riverbank. So I took a, a pot shot at it while it was running. I missed. But I'm not that upset that I missed the wolf in the fact that I missed. I'm I'm bummed that I didn't get to say, well, we tagged out because we only filled five. We had six tags and we filled five of them on that trip. But still not bad. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's still it's still not a bad uh, not a bad hunting experience. So, so. how about the caribou? Uh, uh, whose is bigger? His, his was bigger, and uh, and I and I give him shit that he shot my caribou. Um, I mean, not really, but you know how hunting goes. It's just kind of the way it works out. Right. So, um, yeah, his is an absolute stud, and we're gonna get it measured. I'll bet his is gonna be is gonna be four hundred plus, um, four hundred inch, or, you know, score four hundred more. And I uh, that that thing was was you know lots of mass. It had like twenty nine points because you know the whole thing's palmated, double Holy shovels. Crap. So. Okay, well, walking through the tundra absolutely sucks. I don't know if you guys ever have or if any of your listeners ever have it. I mean, you're, you're basically walking through deep grass swamp all the time. Um, and you, know, you step, on a, step on a root ball and the root ball rolls and you fall off and then your boot gets stuck in the mud beside the root ball. And I had, you know, trained physically uh, for a year before that trip. And thank God I did that because I'd walk a hundred yards and, and I'm like, all right, I got to stop and let the fire in my legs go out. And then, uh, and then walk another hundred yards and then walk another hundred yards and then walk another hundred yards. And, uh, I mean, at least it makes you like take your time and look around You know, you can claim yep. you're not being a lazy POS. You're just <laughs> right. scouting uh-huh. for animals. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm scouting. And the fact that I'm doubled over and leaning on my hiking sticks, that's just, you know, don't, don't, don't worry about that. But um, these plants are so interesting. I just have to get a closer look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it was actually Josh's birthday. So we just kind of agreed. All right, it's your birthday. Let's go find you a caribou. And we'd seen some. Uh, we'd seen some east of the lake the night before. And we said, all right, we're going to take off to the east side and see if we can find you. And we did. They were there, but we couldn't get as close as we thought we were going to be able to get to them. We couldn't get closer than about six hundred and fifty yards to them. Um, That's a poke. And. Um, um, yeah, so we said, all right, hindsight, I might have tried that shot. But at the time, I'm thinking, okay, it's the first day. We're here for eight days. We've seen dozens of caribou. We got a bachelor group of bulls right here. There's going to be another bachelor group. We don't need to, you know, you know, shoot a leg off at 650 yards and spend the next day trying to find this thing. Um, so we passed. Um, we went back to camp. So the next day is my day to shoot because we we're going to alternate who's, you know, who's the spotter, who's the shooter. And we woke up that morning, and on the west side of the lake, um, about 12, 1,500 yards, just right around the rim of that crater, we can see three bull caribou bedded down right on the rim of the crater. And one of them was pretty damn big. So we said, okay, we're going to make a move on those three things. And so we uh, we walked straight north from camp to get up on the uh, um, on the you know the outside of the crater, if you will, and then walked around the west side of the lake. Keep, you know, using the train to try and shield us, and we walked around to where we thought the the caribou would be, and I said, "All right, everybody, get ready." And we walked up to the top of the hill. We looked, and there's no bull caribou. No, they're they're not there. We can't see them. They're gone. We scanned the horizon. They're just gone. Like, well, it took us an hour to get here. They must have either spotted us and ran, or or they moved on, or what. And I said, "Well, all right, fine." So we we kept going around around the west side of the lake to kind of the southwest corner because there was a river there, and we. You know, we watched the river, and there were some caribou on the other side of the river, and we just watched them through our binos a little while and, and everything. And it got to be about 2 o'clock, and we're getting hungry, and we're like, all right, let's go back to camp. And uh, when we made the decision to go back to camp, Josh just took off. And we were both in the mindset of we're going back to camp to get lunch. 
we were not in the mindset of we're still hunting for caribou because we already knew the caribou weren't there because we'd already covered all that area. And so we just took off. We're going back to camp and Josh was, I don't know, 50 yards in front of me or whatever like that. And we're, we're cruising along and just all of a sudden he just goes flat down on his belly. I mean, just belly flop instant. Like I thought he tripped and fell down. And he turned around, he looked and he's pointing at me and, and mouthing to me. He said, they're right there. And he kind of rolled up on his knees to get a better look. And when he did that, the big bull spotted him and stood up. And Josh looked at me, knowing that it was my day to shoot, and he's like, what do you want to do here? He's like, I could shoot it right now. And I just pointed at him and said, get it. You know, that that thing is huge. Go ahead and get it. And so he he stood up and shot the thing freehand at about 125 yards and got his caribou. So I I give him a hard time that that was – so the backstory is when we we walked around the crater to – and then popped up over the hill where we thought they were, we had gone too far, thinking where they were, but we were probably three, four hundred yards too far. And so when we saw, okay, they're gone. Well, then when we came back, we walked right past that area and walked another couple hundred yards and spotted them. So, you know, just coincidence, we jumped that caribou and Josh, he smoked it the second time and dropped it on the, on the dead run and done. And of course, in our genius of trying to move quick, we didn't have any of our pack frames, any of our gear, anything with us. We'd, we'd rolled out light. We'd taken our hydration bladders and our rifles and that was it. (laughs) So we went back to camp got her stuff, came back up to the caribou and skinned it and, and, uh, and quartered and took all the meat and everything like that. And then made two trips back to camp. So, um, so there we got, we got his caribou back and that thing was, that thing was a stud. I was packing that thing out, walking through the tundra. Uh, it was, it was about as miserable as you can expect. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, so we, if, if it was up to me, we would have made three trips. Um, Josh said, no, we're going to get this done at two. So, uh, so we both had, uh, we both had two quarters the first trip going back and then, Coming then the second trip, um, he had the the cape and the antlers of the skull, and I had the back straps and the and the tenderloins. Um, like I said, if it was up to me, I'd have done one quarter each, one quarter each, and then that last trip. I'd have made three trips, but but dude, I don't blame you. Yeah, walking in the tundra, it's actually kind of a relief when you find a little gravel hill because at least now you're walking on something that's at least sort of solid. You know, you're still walking on a hillside or whatever like that, but at least you got you know 30 yards of solid ground that you can walk on before uh, right. before you're back in the in the muck and the grass. But so then the next day, so after we packed that one up, the next day we said, all right, we're gonna go back to we're gonna go back to the west side of the lake because there were other bull caribou there, um, the west side of the lake. So I still think that's the that's the funnel over there. Let's go over there. So we got back up almost to where Josh's carcass was, and we turned around and looked back to the east side of the lake and we could see a lone bull way out on one of the gravel hill where we had hunted the first day and couldn't get closer than 650 yards to those bull that first day. But this bull was on our side of a little marshy area that we couldn't get past and he was actually right on the hill that we had been glassing on the day before. So we're looking at each other like, well, let's go back to camp, put on our waders, and go straight at it. We can get right through the low marshy area and that way we don't have to go all the way out and around and everything. And, and, uh, so, okay. So we did it. We got out and, um, uh, got her, got down, got our waders on, uh, popped back up on the, on the rim of the crater around the lake. And sure enough, that bull was still there because we popped down on the, our side of the crater and walked the full perimeter of the lake and then popped up and kind of just used some, some low terrain to, to close, um, uh, we initially closed within about 350 yards, and I was comfortable at that distance, and said, uh, "and said, you know, all right, I'm going to get comfortable and 
and uh, I'm going to take that shot from here. And and Josh pushed me a little bit. And says, "No, there's there's one more little hill between us. If we you know get underneath that hill and then pop up on top of that hill, we'll, we'll be right on top of him." And on the one hand, I was okay. Yes, he's right, um, and I knew that. But on the other hand, I was like, "We don't have any cover between us and that hill, and that bull's going to see us." And I don't want to blow him out. And if we come up on top of that hill and, uh, and you know, we're come up on top of the hill and we're going to be, you know, 50 yards from that bull. And if I stick my head up over that hill and he's going to, you know, see us, hear us something and we're going to push him out. That's too aggressive. And right about then that bull walked around behind that hill. Well, shit. All right, let's go. And so, uh, and so we, we hoofed it as fast as we could to get to that hill. And we got to the, the downhill side of it and got down hands and knees and crawled up to the top of it. And as luck would happen, there was that bull at about, 100 and, about 140 yards, 150 yards, um, quartering away, just feeding. So I uh, I put, uh, you know, just shouldered the rifle and watched him through the rifle scope, which, you know, seemed like forever. Was, I have a history of, uh, in my mind, making a perfect shot on an animal and then tracking the damn thing for the next seven hours. So I chambered another <laughs> round and was like, I'm going to put a second round in that thing right now. And while I had chambered the round, Josh had kept his eyes on it through his binos. And Josh heard me chamber another round. He's like, don't shoot. You don't need to shoot again. Bullshit. I'm shooting that thing again. It's like, you don't need to. And about then I noticed through the scope what he was talking about. You could see blood coming out both sides of the shoulders and he was blowing blood out his nose. Oh, yeah, he's done. It's like, all right. And he, he circled for a second and fell down. And that was that. And then Josh looked at me. He's like, you were going to shoot him again, weren't you? So I was going to shoot him again. <laughs> like that, that round was already in him. You stopped me. What, what were you shooting? So I, I used a 300 wind mag and so did Josh um, for both hunts, uh, which was perfect for uh, uh, the caribou. I mean, I mean, a caribou or elk size, maybe just a little bit smaller. Yeah. So. Uh, and for the grizzly hunt, I also used a 300 wind mag. Josh used the same ammunition for both hunts. Um, it was a 180 grain Barnes bullet. I was using um, 212. 212 grain Hornady ELDX for caribou because it would buck the wind better. And then for grizzly, I switched to a uh, um, a 220 grain round nose interlock. Just I thought it would do a little better on the on the on the grizz. I would argue that a 300 wind mag is probably the smallest cartridge you would want to shoot a grizzly bear with. I mean, so 300 wind mag that's that's a yeah, lot of knockdown. It, it really is. I uh, between me and the guide, uh, we shot my grizzly four times. Josh and his guy had shot his four times. They, they shot at his six times, hit it four. We shot at our at mine four and hit it four. Um, I was three for three. The guide was one for one. And both guides did the same thing. Like the client shoots, as soon as you hear the impact of the bullet, guide shoots, and then it's both of you just hit bear. Shoot the damn thing. Just keep shooting it. Make holes in it. Because one round isn't going to knock it down, isn't going to kill it on the spot, and I don't want to track a wounded bear any farther than I have to. Uh, it's been flatlined for five minutes, guys. <laughs> well, <clears throat> in case you guys didn't notice, I, that kind of cut off at a weird spot. Uh, my computer decided to act like a normal MacBook does and take a shit. Hey, no. But yes, take a shit it did. And... Uh, here we are. So we are back. This is a week later. So where we left off was the grizzly bear hunt. Yes. Um, yeah, I was kind of walking through uh, uh, basically my experience with with shooting the grizzly, and it was um, just to kind of recap a little bit. And you, um, forgive me if this is redundant, but uh, yeah. So it was day five of the grizzly hunt, and I was hunting with a, a three hundred Winchester Magnum, um, two twenty grain round nose interlock bullets. 
uh, so my guide and I, we actually spotted the, uh, the grizzly, um, several hundred yards away, probably about 400 yards away on a gravel bar out in the middle of the river. And, uh, um, we started uh, kind of walking towards a little bit and it started walking away from us on the gravel bar. Um, and so we kind of picked up the pace a little bit and when it got to where the gravel bar connected with the shore, the grizzly bear turned on our side of the shore and turned and started coming towards us. So we just went prone and just, just watched the thing come towards us. So it was a, it was kind of cool because I got to, I got to watch the bear be a bear for several minutes, you know, and, um, and, uh, when the thing, uh, got to, uh, it was about 125, 126 yards, I think is what the, is what the guide was calling out for the range. Um, uh, it's kind of stopped a little bit behind a little shrub and, and finally, after several seconds, you know, it seemed like forever, but you know, who knows what it is while well, the adrenaline's pumping, uh, uh, the thing stepped out to the side and, um, uh, and I got around in it, um, and immediately upon the shot, the, uh, the guide shot two and, you know, the bear, so we both hit it and the bear started running. I fired my second shot, the third shot, um, uh, hit the bear and, uh, and on my shot, uh, the thing fell down into a little slough and, uh, and so we went, we went charging up to, to get on the bear and see where it was. Cause you know, we wanted to, you know, if it was still alive, it was limping away through the brush. We wanted to see what it was. So we, we sprinted, you know, 50, 75 yards and, and there was a bear laying there, uh, in the bottom of the slough. And I, I put a fourth round into it. Um, come to find out that fourth round was, uh, was unnecessary cause, uh, cause my third round had hit it in the head and I didn't realize, it, and that's what dumped it into the slough. And what's kind of interesting is, uh, um, yesterday I got a call from, uh, uh, from the taxidermist that's working on it and says, Hey, do you want us to, you know, we got your bear hide, we got your bear skull. Do you want us to, to whiten the skull for you? Do you want the skull? And I was like, well, yeah, I want the skull because they, they don't use the actual skull in the, in the taxidermy. And she said, okay, we'll, we'll whiten it and send it to you, but, uh, it's got a big hole in it. Yeah. I, I, I shot it in the head. Sorry about that. I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll do the best we can, but it's got a big hole in it. It's like, so how long have you been wanting to hunt grizzly? Like, is that like a, a thing you've been wanting to do for a long time? Um, not really. And it, what's kind of interesting is, um, uh, so several years ago, and I, I go, go back on five, six years ago in my life when I, is when I really first started taking more of the, well, it was 2013, so it's more than five or six years ago, um, started taking destination hunting trips. And, uh, um, uh, my friend Josh, who I've mentioned a few times now called me out of the blue and was like, Hey, we're going black bear hunting. I got, you know, got a place. It's affordable. We're, we're going to Ontario hunting, hunting black bear. We're leaving in three weeks, get in the damn truck. And I was like, okay. So like, he basically just told me we're going on this hunt. And at that time, I really didn't have any interest in hunting a bear at all. Cause I just, my, my brain and my mindset was I'm you know, hunting hoofed game, deer, elk, moose, and didn't really have any interest in hunting predators. But then when I went on the black bear hunt and just the way the black bear, uh, appear and then disappear you know you think of these you know big black animals walking around through the green green and brown brush and i mean they're like ghosts like like you're staring so we were hunting over bait piles and i'm just sitting there staring at this bait pile and all of a sudden holy shit there's a bear there where'd that thing come from oh they move silent and okay where'd he go some bitch he's gone and and like and yeah you know the padded feet on wet pine needles and wet leaves and yeah you can't hear them and the bush was so thick there that, uh, 
that, yeah, they just disappear. They walk 10 feet and they're just gone. And uh, so I had talked to people just before that hunt, just, you know, getting advice and heard guys. It, it was kind of amazing when I, when I talked to people bear hunting, I hear a lot of people say, oh, bear hunting is my passion. I just love that. And, and I just never understood it. But then after that hunt, I was like, all right, I can kind of see how this could, this could be addicting because, you know, it's, you know, you know, 14, 16 hour sits over this bait pile and, you know, you're way on the wilderness uh, uh, of, of the, of the Canadians and, uh, and so, you know, no signal. So you can't sit there and play games on your phone and, uh, or, or stream videos or anything. So you're just sitting there bored and, you know, four seconds of, of heart pounding because there's a bear there and then it's gone. And so, so that kind of got me thinking about, about, all right, I'm a little bit more on board with bear hunting now. Not to sidetrack, but up in Canada, you don't got to be out in the bush and not have a signal. <laughs> I go down Highway 17. I was going up every year for walleye fishing. Mm-hmm. And main freaking highway in the country, there ain't no fucking cell signal on yeah. it. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because we, we noticed that too. So we were... Uh, we drove into uh, into Wawa, Ontario, which I guess everybody that everybody that knows walleye fishing knows where Wawa is. Yep, we go right through Wawa, yep. take a right out to Chaplow. Yep, that's where we yeah, at Wawa and took a right, and I I think I can't remember the name of the town we were close to. It was like like Red Hawk or Red Redfield or something like that. But but yeah, to get a cell phone service, we basically had to drive back to Wawa to get get. Yep. You know, we started getting cell phone service maybe five miles from town, but yeah, if you needed to make a phone call, it was it was an hour and a half long commitment. <laughs> But, uh, so how long did it take, you know, from when you decided that you wanted to go hunt grizzly bear to actually pull the trigger and, and schedule well, a hunt? Well, and that's, um, that's kind of where I, where I was starting to go with the hunting the bear. So we, uh, uh Josh and I booked this caribou hunt, um, uh, I don't know, two, three years ago is when we, uh, is when we started arranging it and decided, okay, we're going to go on a caribou hunt. And then kind of on a whim, Josh was like, I wonder if the guy, you know, wonder if we can grizzly hunt while we're up there. Well, I'll make a phone call and find out. So I called the outfitter and, and, uh, and the guy's like, well, as luck would have it, uh, I actually have a couple of unsold hunts. And, uh, if you guys want to add a grizzly onto your caribou, we'll, uh, uh, I'll cut you a bit of a, di- a deal on it. And I called Josh and says, Josh, I think we should do this. Cause now we'd, you know, so it was, uh, uh they were going to say he was going to take about $3,000 off the price of the hunt. Plus now we don't have to fly, you know, back to Alaska a second time. So the price of the plane ticket, which actually wasn't that bad, it was I don't know, seven hundred and some bucks, seven hundred and twelve dollars, something like that for the for the plane ticket. Is that round trip? Yeah, that was round trip. Um and so uh and so Josh and I kinda talked about it for about a week and we're like, All right, let's add a grizzly onto the hunt. So it was it wasn't it wasn't a planned grizzly hunt, it was a planned caribou hunt that we kind of spontaneously added a grizzly to it, but we both uh, we both had talked about after the bear hunt, you know, several years ago, we'd, and we brought it up a few times that, gosh, it'd be kind of cool to hunt a grizzly, you know, you know, just, and of course in our mind, we're thinking giant coastal black bear or coastal brown bear. Um, and then, as I said, last time we were hunting more interior grizz, so they're a little bit smaller, but a little bit more colorful. Um, but it's still a big damn bear. You well, know. Yeah. You mentioned that you thought yours was around 500 pounds. Yeah. I mean, that's still a big bear. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Six foot bear with you know, three and a half inch long claws, four inch long claws. And, and, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's still, a, it's still a grizzly bear. <laughs> it's, I it, mean, it's, it's not a, it's not a puppy dog. That's for sure. Most dangerous game you can get in North America. So, yeah. so wh- how did you describe the smell to us oh, when you walked up to it? Um, wet dog plus rotten salmon. Um, and yeah, it, it, it really, it really reeked. And, and I think, 
I think I told you another people said to me that, that bear tend to taste like what they're eating. And this bear was eating the dead salmon because they were right at the end of the salmon run. And, uh, oh. um, and so, I mean, you know, we've all seen salmon run, you, you know, they're after they spawn, they're kind of floating around. They're like half dead zombie fish, just sort of, you know, floating in and out of the river. Most of them are dead. Some of them are still kind of half alive. Um, and, uh, um, this bear, while I was watching it through my rifle scope, um, was, uh, was picking at one that was on the shore and then it kind of went out in the river just a little bit and scooped one up on the shore and, and, uh, and was picking at that one. And, and I remember thinking at the time, uh, watching it. So the bear was just like picking at it. Like it wasn't like consuming it whole, like, you know, I mean, we, you know, you've got dogs, you give your dog a hot dog and the thing swallows it in two bites mm-hmm. and, uh, and this bear was just like like picking at it, and uh, um, and I remember thinking at the time that I'd seen something on TV about bear when food is plentiful they eat like the brains out of the out of the fish because that's where all the fat and the nutrition is. Huh. Um, and so, you know, among all of the many hundreds of thoughts that are going through my brain while I'm watching this bear through my rifle scope, that was one of the thoughts is maybe that's what it's doing. Um, after we got up to it, the bear was dead, and we had the thing skinned out. We pried its jaw open. Its uh, um, its canines were uh, were very worn down. They're wore down almost flat, and its uh, and its molars were worn down flush with the gum line. So this was an older bear that its teeth were all worn out. You know, probably from eating gravelly fish its whole life. Do you know about how old? Um, I'm gonna get it aged. Um, but that, that's what I was kind of thinking. You know, maybe the bear was uh, was picking at the fish, not because it was going after the brains, but because it couldn't tear it apart or its teeth hurt or something. And so, you know, I don't know. But, um, yeah, to get the thing aged, um, Alaska Fish and Game, we had to get the get the skull sealed, which is, you know, they measure it and you know, record everything for for their herd management, uh, herd management data. Um the guide, when he was looking at it, I asked him his opinion. He said he thought the thing was probably like six or seven years old. Um, when we got to uh, to Fish and Game, they actually pried the jaw open, and uh, uh, the young girl at, at Fish and Game uh, saw how worn down the teeth were, and you could see the you could see the nerve roots on every tooth and, uh, and everything like that. And and I asked her, I said, hey, so the guide says this thing's probably you know six, maybe seven years old. And that girl kind of shook her head a little bit and says, no, nah, as worn as these teeth are uh, and as white as the skull is, this bear's probably in her teens. So, oh wow. So I, I haven't got the report back yet. They said the report would be done in in February or March, and you know here we are, first week of February, and I don't have the report yet. But I'm kind of curious about that myself as to how old this bear was. And it sounds like you took one out that was a good one to take. And and yeah, and I, I kind of got an attaboy from uh, uh, from from uh, yeah this lady at Fish and Game because she uh, she even made the comment that and kind of caught me off guard. And she says, "Yeah, you probably did this bear a favor because you know nobody's ever accused me of doing something a favor by shooting it." Um, but uh, but then I got to thinking about it. And said, "You know that if that bear's teeth are that bad, it can't eat and it's going to start to be in decline and." Um, save it from starving to death. Save it from starving to death or getting killed by wolves or other bears. Um, and this bear, when we skinned it out, it had a lot of fat on it. You know, I, I don't know how much fat it needs to live through the winter, but it had a lot of fat on it. So it probably would have been okay for this winter. But then again, I don't know, winter lasts 10 months up there. So I, or, you know, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but it seems like it lasts 10 months up there. Yeah, it seems like it lasts 10 months here too. <laughs> 
Depending on who you ask, good, right? Good point. Yeah, I uh, um, I kept the weather app for Kotzebue, Alaska, on my phone, and it's uh, it's minus twenty one in in Kots right now. So, mm, mm, so uh, mm, mm. nope, nope. So, Mm-mm. yep, no thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> I'll, I'll stick it, to the summer fishing trips. It it hurts to breathe when it's uh, when it's that cold. So yeah. Um. Did we already did we cover the Wolverine? Taking all oh, of your caribou meat think, on the episode, or I no? I think we talked about that offline uh, before yeah. I, after we quit quit recording. But yeah, that was at the end. That wasn't on there. So, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, we're back to to back to caribou camp. So um, shot caribou number one on day two, and so we had caribou backstrap for dinner that night, and shot caribou number two on day three. So we had you know caribou number two backstrap for dinner that night, and. Uh, um, and you know we're we're in a pretty good mood, and uh, we had you know eight days in this hunt, but we're done hunting. So we shot a note back to the outfitter that hey, we're done. Come get us whenever. Um, and uh, so then day four, we just kind of hung out, and um, um, we didn't do a whole lot day four, partly because there wasn't much to do, and and partly because uh, uh, my back was speaking to me after carrying two caribou uh, across the tundra two days in a row. So I. Kind of just needed to hang out a little bit and just take it easy, but uh, um, yeah. So morning of day five, uh, when we got up, and we're getting ready. We kind of look over to where our meat was stored, and and you know normally I'd hang meat in a tree, but out on the tundra there aren't any trees. The, the tallest trees are like four foot tall little willow bushes. Um, so we just had the meat in game bags um, set up on these willows as best we could, just to keep them off the ground. But they're only you know six eight inches off the ground, and we threw a tarp over it. So that morning we uh, we looked over and we could tell that the tarp was disturbed, but we thought, well, you know, got some wind last night, whatever. And, and we walked over and looked at it and was like, uh oh, something was in our meat here because uh, uh, because the the smaller game bags that had um, uh, that had like the back straps, uh, the tenderloins, and the pieces of neck meat, those were all gone. They they were just gone. Um, and then the bigger game bags had the quarters. Um, had been chewed and torn and and kind of drug around a little bit. So we're we're kind of talking to each other. You know, we're you know at f- we're both you know kind of kind of half in shock and half pissed. Um, but like you know, what could have done this? And and kind of think about it. It's like okay, I don't think this was a bear because the bear would have either eaten all of it or would have taken all of it or it would still be here when we woke up in the morning because there ain't anything going to run that bear away. And um, interestingly enough, uh, a bear was on Josh's carcass. Um, so Josh shot his bear in day two. Day four, um, uh, we could see, we couldn't see the carcass itself, but we could see where it was. Because, um, like I mentioned, our, our camp was, or our lake was in a crater, and he, his caribou was like just over the, the crater, but it was about in a straight line, about 12, 1400 yards from camp. And when we woke up on the morning of day four, we could see a bear sitting right where his carcass was, eating on it. And, uh, so that was kind of fun, but so we knew there were bear in the area, but again, these bags, the big bags were still there. They'd just been chewed on a little bit. So we're like, like, all right, this has got to be a fox. I mean, maybe a lone wolf, but I, I'm thinking it's a fox. And, um, uh, cause the bags that were smaller and lighter and could be carried by a smaller animal were gone. The bigger bags were still there. So we're like, well, all right, something knows this thing is here. We, uh, we gotta, we gotta, you know, do our best. So we, I, we had some extra game bags, and we kind of salvaged what we could, put it in fresh game bags, 
um, moved it, um, moved the meat to a different area, put the tarp back over it, things like that, and said. And we decided we were gonna have a we were gonna have caribou for uh, for every meal that day because we both looked at each other like, all right, so some knows the meat here. We may or may not be able to keep the rest of this meat, so we we're kind of at least aware that something might come back. And um, uh, so then that night when we went to bed, um, I was awoken at, I don't know, midnight or so uh, to the sound of a tearing game bag. And, uh, you know, it, you know, it's just not like ripping fabric, like a, like a ripping bed sheet or something. And, uh, uh, and I said, Josh, something's on the meat. And, uh, and so we quick threw on our boots and grabbed our rifles and our flashlight and went to, running out of our tent as fast as you can run out of a little six man tent. And, um, and, uh, usually ends with me tripping and falling on my face. Yep. Yeah. There's a little bit of that. Cause I'm, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sleeping in my base layers and I just stepped into my boots without tying them. So, uh, so yeah, so we went running, uh, running out there and, um, and, uh, we both had pretty bright flashlights and, uh, it was like, okay, count of three, one, two, three. And we clicked our flashlights on and on our meat, there were two sets of eyes staring at us, and uh, and I'm looking at like, what the hell is that? And my I first said, I said that's a bear. Like I think it like it was a black bear because it was small and it was black. I could tell it wasn't a grizzly. And Josh is like, that ain't a bear. And I was like, well, that ain't a wolf either. What the hell is that thing? And then it kind of moved, and it moved like a giant raccoon, um, you know, low to the ground. Um, uh, kind of, kind of, I don't know, I can't hardly even describe it. It's very mechanical the way it moves it, like it reaches and pulls rather than walks. Um, and, uh, and when it turned sideways, like, shit, that's a Wolverine. And, um, Josh shouldered his rifle and, uh, and had the, had the eyeballs in his crosshairs. And, uh, and, um, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, don't shoot because there's a, there's a law that you can't shoot a bear to stop to stop it from stealing your meat um but i didn't know if you could shoot a wolverine or not and i was like no i'm not risking a ten thousand dollar fine over this thing so uh I said don't shoot josh and he said he says no good thing you say that because i was gonna shoot my safety was on <laughs> and uh, and uh i was like all right let's see what happened and um uh, i fired a shot in the air and when i did that i saw movement out of the kind of the right corner of my eye and so their meat was about 125 yards from camp, and but our um, the the skull and capes were about 50 yards from camp, and uh, and I said when I fired that shot, the two that were under meat took off running. I saw movement to my right, just in the in the spill from my flashlight, and uh, I quick shined the flashlight over there, and sure enough, there was a third one that was eaten on the skulls, and uh, and uh, like and yeah, as as they're running up over the hill, it's like. I'll be damned. That's a fucking Wolverine. Look at that. And there's, there goes three of them right there. And, um, um, and so we looked at each other and it was like, well, we're going to go mess around with the meat and try and move it again. And he just looks at me and says, it's cold. I'm going back in the tent. We're just going to try and stay away and we're just going to stay awake. We're going to just have to scare him away again. And like, okay. So we went back in the tent and we no more and got back in the tent and it started raining and you know y'all been in a tent before when it's raining the only thing you hear is rain on the tent yep can't hear uh, shit can't hear shit and uh and Josh and I we did stay awake for a little while and we we're kind of talking to each other like well okay we're going to go out and check on it every 10 minutes uh i don't want to get rained on in my base layers and just come back in and climb into my sleeping bag um 
you know, are we going to go sit out there? I mean, what, what are you doing? And he's just like, you know what? I, I don't know. We, and we ended up just going back to sleep. And then uh, a little while later, I got woken up again to um, uh, a just kind of a mild, um, like a snarl sound. Just a, it sounded like a little dog growl, just a little rawr, kind of like that. And I, and it woke me up. And I, I couldn't tell if it was a noise in the tent, like like you know Josh snoring. Did I dream it? Did I snore myself awake? Is that something outside? And I laid there and listened for yeah you know, another minute or two, and I never heard it again. Um, it's still raining. Um, and yeah, I never heard the sound again. And I said, well, all right, it is what it is. And I, uh, I you know, went to sleep, woke up the next morning and, uh, Josh was out of the tent first and I, uh, and I just heard him say, ah, oh, fuck. Like, uh Oh, so I, uh, put my stuff on and or put my clothes on and went out and, uh, um, every bit of our meat was torn out of the bags. It was all chewed on. It was all shredded. It was all moved around. Um, a couple of the quarters were drugged down into the, into the edge of the lake and the mud flat around the lake. Um, <clears throat> our, uh, our skulls for our caribou, um, they had eaten the skull from the nose up to the eyeballs on both skulls. Um, uh, they, fortunately they didn't chew on the antlers. Um, both capes were drug around So we had those, we had those in a, in a separate area under a tarp too. They'd both been drug out and, uh, and drug all over the place. And, um, Josh was half pissed because he could tell that his cape had been chewed on. It was chewed up pretty good. Um, but fortunately when we got to, uh, when we got to really inspect him, we laid him out where his cape had been chewed on was way down at the back end. Like the part, the taxidermist was probably going to cut off anyway. Um, the face and the ears and everything like that was, was totally fine. So we got lucky on that one. That's surprising. They didn't eat the ears. Yeah. Yeah. That we usually were, goes. We were kind of surprised about that too. Yeah. They didn't eat the nose. They didn't eat the ears. They didn't, yeah. Um, didn't eat around the eyes. And I mean, we cleaned these capes up pretty good cause you know, we just sat around for day four and day five with nothing to do. So we're just sitting there with our capes over our knees, just fleshing them out real good. So, I mean, you know, they were, they were pretty well taken care of. So maybe that's the thing, what saved them. I don't know, but. But yeah, so uh, absolutely none of the meat was salvageable. Um, so you know, spent all that money, went all that way, and we got uh, uh, we got five caribou meals. And meal number five was the leftovers from meal number four because we we cooked extra. <clears throat> Sounds kind of like your Africa hunt. Eat all of it while you're there. Yep. Don't get it, to bring it, any it home. It turned out that way, and I was kind of disappointed because that, that that caribou meat was really good. I'd never had it before, and it was really good. And I would have loved to bring some of it home. Um, so you mentioned the last time you're here also about the grizzly meat. So I I kind of have mixed feelings about that because you you said you yeah. didn't you didn't keep any of it. We didn't keep any of it, and I kind of have mixed feelings about that too. Um, the state law you're required to keep caribou meat and other species and stuff like that, but you are not required to keep bear meat. Um, and I think that must be because some of that meat just has has rotten smell, rotten taste, things like that. And, um, and I kind of told you, so we were staying with at a, at a bed and breakfast that, um, uh, that was owned by, uh, uh, by a native couple. Um, and, uh, uh, when we were getting ready to go out in the field, I asked, uh, um, I asked the, the owner, do you want any meat or any of the fat or anything? Or do I asked him if you want any of the meat? And he said, yeah, I want some of the meat and some of the fat, you know, bring me a little bit of it. And I was like, okay, I will. Um, when we got to camp, the first thing I said to the guide was, 
All right. I want to save a little bit of the meat because I want to try it because I've never had grizzly before. I've had black bear, but I've never had grizzly before. And the, mm. the couple we're staying with said they want some of the meat and he wants some of the fat. And, and the guy, the guy looked at me like I was a dumbass for even asking that question. He's like, you sure you want to do that? Why are you asking me that? You know, I'm, I'm a rookie here. I have no idea. Said, right. Why was that a dumb question? And he's like, uh, I can tell you for a fact, the grizzly meat is no good. You're not going to like it. It's, it's not even worth saving, but if you want some of it, we'll save it. But it's you're you're not going to want it. Just trust me on this. Okay. Well, I'm going to try some, and and up into the point that I had shot my bear, I was yeah, we're going to take some of the meat. Um, when we actually got up on it and started skinning it and uh, um, and pulling it apart, and that's when the uh, rotten fish plus wet dog smell became you know overpowering get about mm-hmm. 10 feet away <clears throat> yeah 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 you could no nope. yeah, yeah you could smell it from yeah before he even got on it's like what the hell is that smell and uh and like oh that's this thing and uh you know the guide is cutting and pulling i'm cutting and pulling and uh and you know you start smelling your hands like that and yeah it's just it's slimy wet dog smell wet dog smell plus rotten fish and i was like you know what I think you're right. I don't want any of this meat. And he just kind of chuckled a little bit. Said, Told you. And I'm like, okay. So we walked away. We left it all. Um, when I got back to town, I uh, I told the owner, said, hey, you know, I I didn't, or, you know, the owner, the lodge owner, and um, or I say lodge, you know, it was a bed and breakfast. It was just a house we were staying at. Um, uh, I told him, hey, we didn't, uh, we didn't bring it in the meat. And he, uh, he got a little irritated. Um, he's like, like, you know, you know, that's bad form to just leave meat behind. And I said, well, you know, Raymond, that's the stuff smelled bad. Uh, the guide told me it was going to taste bad. And I, you know, I didn't think it was any good. And he's like, yeah, I know it smells bad. And, and something like I said, that's part of our diet. And remember he's a native guy. So that's, you know, that's part of our, our native diet up here. He said, if you wanted some of it, he should have given you some of it. And that should have been the end of it or, you know, the end of the conversation. I'm like, well, okay, you're not wrong, Raymond. And, you know, I, you know, kind of half apologized to him because I, you know, I thought I was, I thought I was wasting everybody's time once I got up on that. It's like, yeah, this stuff's no good. I'm not going to serve rotten meat to this guy, you know, and. I just, I don't know. I, I think that should have been something the guy to ask you is, well, why does the guy want it? Is he native or what? You know, you think yeah. they would know that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you're not wrong. Um, Do you think, I, I personally, wondering if maybe it was because he didn't want to pack it out? Um, or help you pack it out, right? Treat rather. it like bear and, spray. <clears throat> right. Get to the float plane. You got to strap it on the damn float. It can't get in the cabin. <laughs> um, maybe, but I mean, we weren't that far from camp and, you know, I would help to pack it. Um, so, I mean, I, I suppose there's, uh, I didn't ask that question, so I don't know. But yeah, I mean, you're already taking the hide and everything back with you. So it's, I mean, you've got the smell. Right. It's yeah. not like you're going to avoid that. And in his defense, I didn't really push back either. I, I imagine if I'd have said, damn it, I'm taking a back strap and, and this big old chunk of fat off the leg. I mean, you know, I've, I've hunted with enough guides to know that they, he probably would have said, okay, let's, you know, go back to camp, get a bag, and we'll go back and get some. Um, so I, I don't think he would have flat out said, no, I'm not doing it. I don't think he would have flat out refused, but, but. Yeah, and, and I mean, even still, it's got to be a tough decision on your part. You it, know? it was. I'm not used to shooting something and just leaving it. Um, 
in fact, that's the first time I've ever shot something and just left it. Um, short of woodchucks. But, um, I mean, coyote bait. Come on, man. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. But uh, I've talked to other people that have hunted Grizz, and, and most of them did not take the meat either. Oh, really? So I guess maybe that's just kind of the, the nature of the beast of hunting grizzly bear. I, yeah, I, I definitely was not aware that there's, like, no want-waste laws for bear. Yeah. Well, I think part of that is because, like, with black bear, you don't get in trouble because of trigonosis. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, maybe maybe that's some of it with the with the black bear or the grizzly bear too. I well, I, I guarantee a grizz has trig. If a black bear does, they're probably way more likely to have it. Could but, be. Yeah, I bet that's why. You know, but you, you I can't mean, charge somebody for want waste laws if they decide to not keep an animal that's infected. riddled with parasites. But, but but then again, with deer, even you know, the CDC recommends if it's positive for CWD that you don't consume it. All all disease, CWD, TB, or um, hemorrhagic, right. any hemorrhagic. If it's got something, but the, but they tell you throw it away. But there's still want waste laws for deer, so. Right, right. But I think it's got to do with percentages on population that's positive. Like bears, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like 90% of bears over five years old had trig. How much? Like, it was close to 90% over five years old had trig. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that prevalent. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just like wild hogs. Yeah. You get a wild hog that's somewhere close to a dump where they can get into eating dead animals and meat. They're all going to have some kind of trig. They're nature's garbage can. Yeah, just so you're referring to trichinosis. Trichinosis, yes. Yeah. But, I mean, you get wild ones that are out there eating berries and twigs and you know not getting into eating other animals like other dead carcasses then be just like a normal hog should we i mean the best we can try to explain what trichinosis is for people that aren't aware oh it's a little cyst that lives inside the meat it's actually a parasite inside this cyst You consume it in the meat. They're so small, you can't see them. Once it gets into your body, it hatches into like a little worm and goes and lays all the little cysts in your muscles. And then just the way it's been described to me, because I've never had it, is flu-like symptoms with muscle cramps, severe muscle cramps. Normally, your body will get rid of it, but you go to the doctor, trig positive, here's a dewormer. You know, you had some dewormer not that long ago, didn't you, Bert? <laughs> yeah, when we thought I had COVID for a second. Um, but yeah, but it's it's not like it's not typically fatal, right? No, it's a same along the lines of a parasite, right? And you can cook it out of the meat. That's why they say you're supposed to get your yes. pork up to what one sixty, one sixty five, right? They've been looking into studies where if you hold it at one fifty five for long enough, that will also kill it. You're leaving for Texas tomorrow, Andrew, right? Yep. To go on a wild hog hunt. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I've I've been to this ranch before and uh, and shot hogs off of this ranch before. Um, and uh, yeah, I've I've eaten the meat from the hogs that I've shot down there before. And to my knowledge, I don't have trichinosis. Um, <laughs> oh, you so, would know. Yeah, I've gone to this ranch. Uh, this will be my, I think this will be my fifth time to this ranch. Yeah, it's uh, it's similar style hunting to. Um, uh, to like what we would hunt whitetail, but also, um, 
uh, it's a lodge based hunt with uh, with game service where the uh, they actually take you out to the stands and you're hunting from enclosed blinds like a like a, a shadow hunter type. Um, uh, some of them actually are shadow hunter brand, but they got several different brands. So, you know, enclosed blind. Um, uh, hunting over a feeder and uh and the hogs and the deer come into the feeders and um take your pick it's a pretty cool ranch because they uh you know they they feed you they lodge you they take you to and from the blind they pick up your hogs um they'll skin them and gut them for you um so i mean you can do it yourself if you want to but you don't have to um they just take them back to the camp and hang them up and skin them there um, um go ahead Zachy. how's skinning out a hog compared to a deer um, it's, it's similar to a deer. I mean, you know, you still make all the same cuts. Um, like how, how tough does the hide it, come it's, off? It's tough. And that's what I was just going to say too, where, uh, you know, like in a deer, once you get them started, you can kind of, kind of grab a hold and yank and you can kind of half deglove it about, uh, about, about halfway. Um, you can't do that quite as easily with hogs, especially the bigger ones, because the bigger ones have that, have a gristle plate on their, on their ribs and, and on their flanks. So, uh, um, so it, it just doesn't. It just doesn't roll like a like a deer hide does because it's it's a harder, tougher hide. Um, so uh, so yeah, you you pretty much got to cut it off. I mean, you you can, have you, you ever can peel it a little bit? Have you ever tried the uh, golf ball and the rope method? Um, or? I have not. That's where you, you know, put a golf ball under the hide and tie yeah, a rope, tie a rope, tie around, a rope it around it and, and take it off with your four wheeler, four wheeler truck, whatever. Yeah. Um, I'd be worried that I'd pull their winch right off the roof of the down to this place, but, oh, Lord. but um, hook her to a tree and put a tarp down. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, I've not tried that, um, and, I've done know, it on, with, on any species. I've so, done it with deer and it works when they're fresh. Okay. If you let that thing hang for two or three days, eh, eh. Yeah. No. you're, you're going to rip the hide in half you, or pull the deer in half. You yeah. let anything sit for even a day. It's going to be a bitch to yeah. rip it off. So how how different does the the wild hogs down there taste compared to pork you're gonna buy at the local store here? Um, it's it's similar. Uh, the pork steaks that I had, uh, I've started I've started just making most of it into different sausages, different flavors of like you know they call them sausages, but brats. You know, I get eight or ten different flavors of brats or chorizo or a, or a breakfast sausage. You had a really good chorizo. And I didn't think about that. I should have brought you some. Um, I'd say, I'd say it's a, a richer pork flavor, but still the same flavor as like a store-bought, store-bought pork. Um, the meat's a little bit leaner. Um, but I also, uh, make it a point to shoot the little bit, shoot a little bit smaller hogs. I shoot the hundred pound hogs down there rather than the, the 200 pound boars. Um, cause the boars got a smell to them too. And if you don't, if you don't kill them instantly, they cover themselves in their own piss. And, uh, yeah. and so there's another one that, uh. That stinks when you walk up on it. Um, Just sounds and, unpleasant. Yep, it is. So I mean, it's it's good eating. I, uh, uh, the, this ranch that I go to, they like I said they'll 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 skin it and they have a, a cooler on site. They'll cool it for it, and then they have an area that if you want to process it yourself, they have an area that, you know with tables and knives and cutting boards and stuff. So you can you can do it yourself, but they don't do the processing. However. Um, there is a wild game processor not far from this ranch that the ranch buys their meat from. And I started noticing the logos on the, on the packages of meat there. So everyone said, Hey, Cinnamon Creek Outfitters, where's, uh, where's that? And tell me about that. And I said, Oh, we have their price list right over there. And I got to looking at it and I said, all right, I'm going to take my hogs there and I'm going to have them process it. Cause I used to bring the whole hog up here. And, and when bullseye was in, in business in Vandalia, 
Um, I had them process it, and they you know did a fine job, fair price. Um, hauling a whole hog carcass home, packed on ice and coolers in the bed of my truck, or in in one case where several of us went, we stacked them. We had like fourteen hogs in the Holy in the crap. you know packed in ice. That's on a trailer a, load. It, it was, and. Um, uh, I have an insulated shipping container that, uh, that that works out pretty well. It's meant for shipping ice cream. It's it's four foot by four foot by four foot cubed, and uh, we discovered that you can fit about twenty hogs into it. But also, when it's got twenty hogs and ice, it overloads the trailer, and we went through four tires trying to get that damn thing home because we were, we were burning up tires on the trailer. Um, Sounds like you need a bigger trailer. I I absolutely needed a bigger trailer for that uh, for that adventure. Um, but that's when I figured out that, all right, I'm going to try the Cinnamon Creek and see what their stuff is. And we took the hogs there to them. They processed it. They, you know, called us back when the meat was uh, was frozen and they offered to ship it. But I said, hey, I'm, I'm coming back in a few months. Will you hold it for me? Are you going to charge me a storage fee? And 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 the lady there is like, well, we normally charge a storage fee, but we got space in the freezer right now. So I'll just sit on it for you um, until it becomes a problem. And then I'll talk to you about a storage fee. And she never, never asked me for a fee. And, and I picked it up, and then uh, and it was a nice insulated shipping boxes, and I just put it in the bed of the truck and drove it home, and uh, made it home just fine. And their stuff was delicious, so uh, that's how I'm going to do it from here on out. Because processing it myself, okay, we, I mean, we've all processed deer ourselves, and processing hog is you know very similar. It's all the same cuts, and uh, um, and I've processed it myself. I've brought whole hogs back here to Michigan, have them processed here, and Bringing home packaged meat from Texas in an insulated container that's already frozen is way easier. Um, cost me a couple extra bucks, but you know what? That that convenience was worth it. And so, do you um, use dry ice on the way home? Um, I last year was the first year I didn't. I didn't have to um, because uh, I just happened to be in Texas on this hog hunt uh, during that giant ice storm that shut down the whole state last year. And, uh, and so driving home the whole trip was, uh, was below freezing. So I just left the the frozen meat in insulated cardboard boxes in the bed of the truck and made it home just fine. Um, and we did have some coolers. So we put some of the stuff in the coolers that, that didn't fit in the boxes, but, uh, um, and kind of looking at the weather report, it's looking like it's going to be, uh, like it's going to be about 50 degrees this time, but, I'm not bringing any meat home this time because if I shoot them this time, I'm going to take them to the processor, and you know, I don't think they'll get it turned around in a day. So, so I'll probably just say sit on it. And I'll find an excuse to come back in April and get it or something. So, and these hogs you're hunting down there—they're feral hogs, right? Which they're domestic pigs that are wild. Some of them have uh, have, have crossbred with um, uh, with I don't know, is it Russian boar that uh, that is Russian down there? Razorbacks? Yeah. So that's I mean, what they have up in the UP. Yeah, the, the hogs we're shooting down there they they look they look like pigs. They don't have the real real high high back like a, like a razorback does. But you know they're they're all black. They got the long black hair, and the bigger ones get the get the tusks and the cutters. So so I don't know. I guess I'm if, if that's something a domestic hog will will grow if it goes feral. I I don't know. Well, I've heard like if a domestic pig becomes feral, air quotes, mm-hmm. it doesn't take it long to like change color. One and, like, one generation. Okay. If a piglet gets out by time it's an adult, the head has already changed shape. It's starting to grow hair. Domestic pigs don't. It's starting to get the thick, coarse black hair. And then the next ones that come around are going to be just feral hog. I mean, it must be what what they're eating though, right? Because I mean, I don't know if it's what they're eating as much as the environment they're in and the ability to adapt and evolve. 
if you are about to send your pig off for slaughter, you finish it off on certain feed, right? Mm-hmm. To, to I, like, I'm not a pig for, farmer. I don't know. P- pigs and, and bear are all the same family. So uh, their, their meat takes on the flavor of what they're eating. Uh, you know, you know, some, something to that extent. And I don't know, the wild hogs, at least on this ranch, are eating acorns in the wild and, and, and corn at the feeders. So, so maybe that's got to do right. with why their meat is so good. I well, just what I was getting at is obviously their feet has an effect on them, like taste-wise. Right. I, just in their physical appearance, I just wonder if that's just that change in diet that quick can make them look weird. Once again, not a biologist, Bert. Sorry. Right. Well, I'm, I'm curious on the different taste in the Russian Razorback boar up in the Upper Peninsula versus the feral hogs down in Texas. I've had the Razorbacks up in the UP, and okay. that was the best damn hog I've ever had. Okay. I was going to say, the solution here is we need to shoot one of each and then and then have a wild game cook-off somewhere. But Well, my brother's going back up to the UP in April. Okay. I will I will have wild Texas hog. I still got some from the last trip. I've eaten most of it, but I still have a little bit. Well, sounds like so, we need to have a wild game cook-off this summer. I'm on board with it. Sorry I don't have any caribou, but the fucking wolverines took it. That's another thing I want to ask. Mm-hmm. Time out, time out. Before you explain this this Russian boar bullshit to me. So up in up in the UP, there is sorry, my mic keeps slipping. It's Russian boar. I, I had yeah. no idea about any of this. It's not. They don't have as many that are like running free range like they do down south. Most of it is you pay a guy to go out, and he's got a population that he's kept on his property, not necessarily fenced in, but. The environment is so much different. It's not as easy for them to spread. Gotcha. And they were brought in. That wasn't some farmer had a hog get loose. That was, they're like, hey, these are cool as shit to hunt. Like you see over in Europe. Mm -hmm. A lot of the ones in Europe that you see with a big hump on their shoulders and the gnarly tusks, those are razorback. They're not right. right. I, I know. I know what they are. I would just. I didn't hear anything about them being in the UP or. Oh yeah, yeah. When uh, shit, I was sixteen, so my brother was eighteen. It was his like senior graduation trip or whatever. Mm-hmm. We went up to uh, Powers, Michigan, in the UP, and he shot one that was about 140 pounds. That was the best pork I've ever had in my life. But it's dark red. I mean, that one was not like white meat, like a. Normal no, thing. it was like between a normal hog and the color of an old venison, like old deer. Purple. Old elk, yeah. All right, carry on. Ask your other question. Well, you sidetracked me, Bert. <laughs> I don't know where the hell I was going now. I said something about uh, about the wolverines took my caribou meat, so we can't have caribou at our cook-off. Oh, yeah. I wanted to know how you had the presence of mind to be like, wait, don't shoot. Because I, I'd have just opened fire. Yeah, well, yeah, um... And the only thing I can think of was uh, we had kind of, Josh and I had kind of grilled each other and like, okay, the odds of a bear, especially once we saw a bear on the carcass, um, so okay, the odds of a bear coming on our meat is uh, is something greater than zero. We're not allowed to shoot a bear to keep it off our meat, but we are allowed to shoot a bear in self-defense. So where's our line, you know, where, where's the line in the sand, so to speak? And we kind of agreed that if we wake up and we hear a noise and that bear is on camp side or the tent side of where our meat is, that bear's getting shot. Um, you know, because there's no reason for it to come closer to our tent than, than where the meat is. 
And so I kind of already had it in my head, I can't shoot a bear, I can't shoot a bear, I can't shoot a bear, I can't shoot a bear. And I run out of the tent, I see this thing on our meat, and I was like, the fuck is that? I can't shoot that. And and I noticed Josh had his rifle leveled, and I said, don't shoot, thinking in my mind, he's not shooting, he's just looking at it through his rifle scope, trying to figure out what it is. And he said, good thing you said that, because my safety was on. I was just about to take it off and shoot. <laughs> like... Like, so, I tried. I pulled the trigger. Yeah, he would go boom. Oh, he was going to shoot it. Yeah, and uh, and come to find out, we could have shot Wolverine if we had a Wolverine tag, and everybody was like, "Why didn't you buy a Wolverine tag? That would have been that would have made an excellent trophy." And I was like, "Well, I don't know. I could buy a Wolverine tag for one." I was like, "Yeah, nobody ever sees Wolverines up here." And I was like, "Well, I saw three, and I'd rather seen zero and kept my caribou meat, but you know, but whatever." Well, and so, you know. Props to you for the the integrity for not just doing it anyway. Because yeah, your, your caribou hunt well, was non guided, correct? My caribou hunt was non guided, and uh, you were it, by a lake, correct? We we were by a lake, correct? And let me uh, that that actually prompted me on an, on another fun story for this caribou hunt. Uh, there was a poached caribou carcass not oh. far from our camp. Oh, and uh, we were talking about the salvage laws. How, uh, how do you how do you know it was poached? Uh, because the whole thing was still there except for the head. Um, we found oh. a, we found the whole pretty good indicator. Yeah, yeah. We found the whole the whole carcass was uh, was not far from where our camp was, um, and then the two back quarters were stacked on top of each other about fifty yards away. And um, later, 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 we found the two front quarters stacked on each other right on the edge of the lake, and. Um, uh, so, weird. so there's, so there's salvage laws in Michigan. So, uh, this, this is going to involve a helicopter here in a second. Um, uh, so the, 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 <laughs> awesome. the, the salvage laws, you know, in, in, in Alaska, you have to take, take everything. You have to take the, take the rib meat and, and everything like that. Um, uh, Josh's caribou after we, uh, after we shot it, um, and while we're rolling around gutting everything like that, we probably weren't as careful as we should have been. And we covered the rib meat in, uh, in grass and mud and gravel and everything like that. So it's, well, shit, that's, that's spoiled. You know, you know, okay. I, I feel like we're justified in not taking the rib meat. Um, uh, we took everything else, you know, took the took the neck meat back straps. Um, we cut it down to the, cut it down to the bone as far as we could. We, we did a very good job of salvaging that one. Um, mine, uh, my caribou. So I, I shot it through and through on the shoulders, but that ELDX bullet blew up. So, uh, so the insides of that thing looked like, like freaking mud. And, uh, and I was like, all right, all of the meat on the inside of this animal is contaminated because it's all gut shot. And I feel like we're justified in not taking the rib meat for this one. So we took all the, again, neck meat, back straps, all four quarters and everything like that. Um, and we were both a little like, okay, you know, I feel like we got to, like, if we get asked on this, we could plead our case and we feel like we got a, at least a case to plead. And the conservation officer may not agree with us. You know, we, we may get a slap on the wrist or we may get a fine here, but, we're not doing anything unethical. We're not doing anything illegal in our minds. And, and so there's that. So the day before or the day we were getting ready to leave, um, we, uh, so the plane was going to come get us at like two o'clock or something like that. So we're getting packed up and everything like that. And, uh, right about noon, here comes a helicopter over the horizon and it just keeps coming and it just keeps coming and it just keeps coming and it comes to us and it, and it lowers down and it circles low over our camp. And, uh, and I, I, 
looked look my binos up and it's like, yep, everybody in that helicopter's got a badge on Josh. And uh, it's it like, uh oh, now what? <laughs> and the helicopter went over and circled over that uh, uh, over that dead carcass, um, and then uh, and then came back and sat down, you know, near our camp. And sure enough, there was two cops and a, and a park service officer got out of this helicopter and come and talk to us. And they were they were there to investigate that poached caribou. Afterwards, I figured this out because I talked I talked to the outfitter, and um, so there were there were three groups of hunters in that camp. Uh, before us the second group when they got back to town they reported this poached this poached caribou this carcass was laying there we're the third group so that would suggest that it was the first group of hunters that shot this thing also when josh and i were there we discovered that uh towards where that so that 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 caribou carcass was probably 300 yards east of where our tents were um, and as we were walking around, we discovered that about 250 yards east of where our tents were is where camp used to be because uh, the, the grass is all matted down. There was garbage everywhere. Um, um, the leftover food was uh, it was just like dumped out and scattered all around. Um, it, it was whoever it was did a really shitty job of cleaning up. And you could tell that that's where camp used to be. So we're like, Josh and I figured out on our own that, all right. I'll bet what happened here was somebody shot that caribou. It started stinking. And so they moved camp, uh, you know, several hundred yards to get away from the smell. Makes sense in our mind. Uh, and so there's that. Um, and I had decided early on that, uh, that when we're, when we're done with our hunt, we're going to take a trash bag over and pick up as much of that garbage as we can. Um, you know, it's not our mess, but you know, that whole, that whole leave everything nicer than you found it uh, rule that, 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 that woodsmen follow. That's, uh, that's, that was in our mind as well. Um, in the meantime, uh, the police officer, one of the police officers and, uh, and the park service agent are walking all around this, uh, uh, this caribou carcass with a metal detector. The cop has got, uh, has got gloves on up to the elbow and he's cutting on this carcass. And, uh, and, and I walked over just to kind of, kind of look at him and I made some comment about like, that's the fun part of the job, huh? And, and the guy's like, Hey, I'm recording this. And they, you know, he had his body camera going and the, the park service guy had a cell phone out and they're, they're recording it. I was like, all right, fine. So I, I walked away and, uh, and was picking up the garbage. And as I was picking up the garbage around where camp used to be, I found a couple of 10 millimeter pistol cases laying on the ground. And, uh, and so I, I flagged down the CO and was like, Hey, I don't know if this has anything to do with what you're, uh, with what you're looking at over there, but, there's some, there's some 10 mil pistol cases there. And, uh, and when they saw them, man, they got all over and they took video, they took photographs of it. They documented everything. And I said, and I even looked at the guy and was like, this would tie a pretty little bow on this investigation. If that was a 10 millimeter slug you dug out of that carcass, wouldn't it? And, uh, and the guy looked at me and kind of nodded and he says, it looked like a 10 mil slug. Oh, wow. Uh Oh, so, you know, in my brain, I'm thinking, and you know, th- again, this is me putting this together is that, uh, you know, those guys were in their tent woke up one morning and there was a caribou in camp and somebody's like, let me see if I can hit it with my pistol and bang thwop. He did. And then didn't take the meat. Assholes. So is it legal to shoot caribou with a pistol? I don't know. I mean, cause I, know, I don't know. I don't know that it's, I, I guess I don't know the answer to that. I know certain States you can't hunt deer with a pistol. Yeah. Some areas have, you know, minimum caliber restrictions or, or something like that. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. So, I don't know whatever came of that, but uh, Josh and I 
we have we have this thing where every time Josh goes on a destination hunt, the conservation officer shows up. And every time I go on the hunt with him, <laughs> he takes me down with him because then I get questioned too. And we're we're uh, we're pretty much one hundred percent on on out of state hunts having to, having to answer questions to the to the local conservation officers. Um, as long as you're just answering questions and yep. not getting put in the back of the truck, I think yep. you're okay. So far, so far, not knock on wood, we have done everything legal. Um, uh, one asterisk was on our uh, on our moose hunt. We uh, we did not tag the quarters properly. They were tagged. We all had the correct tags, but. Um, when we got done with our uh, when we got done with our moose hunt, our uh, our guide took off. Um, I think he had I think he had company in town. The plane was coming tomorrow, so he says, "Hey, I'm not going to wait tomorrow because we're on the edge of a lake, and he lived on the other end of the lake, so he just got in his boat and left." He's like, "You guys can spend the night here. The plane's coming tomorrow morning. Everything's fine. I'm going home." And uh, it's like, "And okay, fine. You know, there were there was no issues with that." So when we tagged everything before we took it out. There was um uh, there was the permit that the lodge owner gives us, and then the tag that we bought, and we were supposed to tag it with both things. We tagged it with our tag that had our name on it only, and uh, and uh, so when the sea, so we're waiting for the plane, and uh, we ended up having to take two planes out of that hunt, and I went on the first plane. The first plane was smaller, so they sent they sent me and the pilot and uh, and two of the moose out on the first plane. And the bigger plane was going to take uh, take the other um, now the other three guys, um, the other moose and camp in the bigger plane and uh, and so uh, um, I, you know I took off and those guys are waiting and pretty quick here comes a uh, here comes a turbo otter over the horizon and it circles 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 and lands and then, well it's not our guys it's the conservation officer and uh, and so they investigate everything and the guy the guy basically said like like. And and I wasn't there to see it, but Josh relayed to me that you know the CO asked all these questions. Says, "All right, guys, you understand that I can confiscate all of these animals because they're not tagged properly." Dead serious, like you know, cop face, dead serious, and cop face, and they're all, "Oh shit, uh, what what did we do wrong here?" Uh, and uh, and they said, "All right, well, I don't think you intentionally did anything wrong. Y'all got the proper paperwork. You just didn't apply it." And so uh, when I got back to town, I had cell phone service, and Josh had a had a satellite phone, and and. I just happened to turn my phone on as he called my cell phone. And he says, "Hey, take pictures and text it to this number because the the CO let him let everybody go." And like I said, he he said, "You know, I don't think you did it wrong intentionally. Fix it and take pictures and send me proof." And uh, so we did. We did exactly that. Moved the tags around and t- texted him some pictures, and he never replied to my text. And we uh, we made it across the border back into the U.S. and uh, as far as I know, I don't have an outstanding warrant in Ontario. So uh, as far as I, know, I mean, it's kind of hard to get back into Canada right now, anyhow. But yeah, you know, the, the truckers are blocking everything now, right? Or is that only Ottawa? No, I think that's all of Canada. They're all mad. Mm-hmm. I can't say I blame them, but yeah. Josh, you got anything else for? Him? No, no, I think I'm good. Why don't you tell people one more time? Because believe it or not, we actually started this talking about Africa. Um, so, yeah. so how about you tell people if they would like to book a trip or talk to you more about that, where do they get a hold of you at? Okay. Um, yeah, if you want to talk about Africa or questions, book a hunt. Um, uh, my email address is Andy at wild WB safaris. So wild and then the letters WB safaris, or you can call or text me. My cell phone is 260 668 9317. Get a hold of the guy. 
Book a trip. It's way more affordable than you think. Yes, uh, it is. Shameless plug. Wild Wildebeest Safaris is going to be sponsoring some upcoming chapters of uh, Safari Club International Michigan chapter. Their fundraiser for the Lansing chapter is March 18th and 19th. Dinner's on the 19th in Lansing. And uh, we're also going to be uh, sponsoring some fundraiser dinners for chapters of Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. I don't have those dates memorized, but we'll be sponsoring the, uh, uh, the Traverse Bay chapter coming up. So uh, if, you know, if any members of Rocky Mountain Elks, talk to your chapter and find out if, uh, if there's an African safari on the auction list. Because odds are I might be sponsoring it. So there's a chance to buy a safari at auction and maybe get a good deal on it. Right on. All right, Andrew, thanks again for driving all the way back up here and seeing us a week later. Yeah. For our oops. <laughs> Happy to do it. No problem. All right, guys. Talk to you next time. And that is a wrap. So if you guys want to check out pictures from this episode, you can go to our official Facebook page. Uh, just look up Hunt Trap Fish Podcast. If you guys also would like to check out the YouTube video, it should be posted one or two days after this audio version posts. So go check that out. That'll have all kinds of pictures and stuff too from Africa and his hog hunts and grizzly and caribou and all that fun stuff. So, all right. Uh, next time, I don't know what exactly we're going to do. It sounds like it's probably going to be me, Josh, and I don't know who else we're going to bring in here. So um, anyway, until then, you guys take care and we will talk to you next time.